Well, thank you very much for your welcome. It's a pleasure to join you uh, for this service this morning and to be able to share together in the worship of God and to come together around his word. My apologies for omitting words from the Lord's Prayer. It's a strange thing when you're all on your own uh, on the stream. And I omitted words which are particularly important and also relevant to our theme this morning. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And we're going to look this morning uh, at uh, the story of Joseph, one of those wonderful stories in the Old Testament, and particularly at the time when Joseph was reconciled to his brothers. It happened in Egypt, and I want to read from verse, from chapter 45 uh, of uh, Genesis, and verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And uh, then he says in verse 7, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And Joseph is a, a remarkable figure in the Old Testament. Uh, he reminds us in many ways of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he grew up in a, a situation, in one sense, where he was favoured, uh, and in another sense, he had to cope with, with many problems and tensions within the family. And the first thing that I want to see this morning from the life of Joseph is that our actions, the things that we do, can sometimes have long-term consequences. That was certainly the case uh, for Jacob and his family. Jacob had gone to Laban's house, his uncle, seeking a wife, and uh, he fell in love with Rachel. And when the time came for him to marry Rachel, uh, his uh, uncle Laban um, married him to Leah instead. He deceived him. And it was some years before uh, Jacob was married to the woman that he loved. And so there was polygamy in Jacob's life. Uh, more than one wife and children also by handmaids of each of his wives, Leah and Rachel. There was jealousy between the wives. And uh, Jacob didn't love Leah. And she knew it. And uh, he did love from his heart, Rachel. And uh, so there was favoritism when children were born. Leah had six children, but uh, later Rachel had just two sons, and she died, giving birth to, to Benjamin. And uh, Joseph uh, was Jacob's favorite. And perhaps Jacob didn't realize the long-term consequences of those things in his own life and the life of his family. Because the, the sons of Leah were dominant in the family, especially the, the eldest four. And when they realized that Joseph was loved more than they were, uh, they became jealous and they hated him. They resented him. And when God revealed his purpose for Joseph through dreams, that only increased their hatred for him. And so when he went to visit them, when they were tending the flocks, they at first decided to kill him. 
and then decided instead to sell him as a slave to Midianite traders. And uh, they took his special coat, his coat of many colors, they daubed it in animal blood, took it back to his father and gave the impression that they had found it and that Joseph had been attacked by wild animals and had been killed and his body had never been found. And uh, they lied to their father. And uh, he was distraught. We're told that though the family went to him to try to comfort him, he refused to be comforted. And when they did those things, the brothers probably didn't realize the long-term consequences of their actions for their father. And, of course, for Joseph, but also for them. And uh, they, for more than 20 years, experienced guilt and fear. And uh, they blamed themselves for what they had done. And, you know, often... In the context of our families, we can experience painful things. Perhaps you've experienced painful things in your family. It might have been a Christian family. Uh, it might have been a non-Christian family. But the things that happened to you have stayed with you. Uh, and they have had long-term consequences in your life. And uh, it's in this particular situation when uh, Joseph's brothers uh, come to Egypt seeking food in the second year of the seven-year famine, uh, that as they meet Joseph but don't recognize him, and as he tests them to see whether they are still the same brothers who had sold him into slavery, things come out that reveal the struggles that they had been having. Uh, and so our actions have long-term consequences. That's why it's important in times of testing and times of temptation to to seek with God's help to do what is right uh, so that the consequences that follow are good uh, and not bad. Uh, because Joseph is an example of, of a man who was blessed through painful experiences, sold as a slave, falsely accused of immorality, imprisoned, uh, forgotten, uh, and left to languish in prison by a man whose dreams he had interpret it. And yet, again and again in the narrative, we're told the Lord was with Joseph. And uh, even Pharaoh recognized that God's spirit was in him. He's, he's a remarkable man. And the time came when Pharaoh had dreams and Joseph interpreted them, uh, that Joseph came to great prominence in Egypt, and he became second only to Pharaoh. Uh, he had great authority, and he oversaw the storing of food in these seven years of abundant harvest, and then its distribution in the seven years of severe famine that followed. Uh, while he was uh, in Egypt after his rise to prominence, he was married, and he had two sons. And uh, he reflects uh, on uh, the Lord's dealings with him. Uh, when he has these sons, when the first son is born, whose name is Manasseh, he said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Now, he's not saying that he's totally forgotten them, but the pain, the pain of not seeing, the pain of, of the way the brothers had treated him, that God had enabled him to forget them in a sense they were no longer issues that uh, stirred him up. With, with feelings of anger and frustration and perhaps a desire for revenge. 
the Lord had enabled Joseph to come through these experiences and to cope with them. And then when his second son is born, Ephraim, he, he gives him that name because it sounds uh, from the Hebrew twice fruitful. And uh, he says it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And although, therefore, Joseph's experience in Joseph was in Egypt was far from easy, the Lord was with him and he was able to forget all his trouble and put it behind him and to move on and be a wonderfully integrated person. And that was so important when he uh, saw his brothers again and God had blessed him in the land of his suffering. And it's, it's something important for us to remember, isn't it, that when we pray that God will bless us, sometimes that comes through dark and difficult days, through painful experiences, uh, days when we know the presence of God in a very special way. Uh, I've known Christians who have gone through great sadnesses, and yet they said, you know, the sense of the Lord's presence was so real, uh, I could almost wish to go through those things again, because he was with me, and he blessed me, and he helped me. And that was Joseph's experience, a very different experience uh, from his brother's. And uh, so he was prepared, prepared in his heart and mind when the time of reconciliation came. And uh, his willingness to be reconciled to them and to forgive them for what they had done was not dependent upon their repentance. Sometimes we think, well, it's only when the other person repents that I will be able to forgive or willing to forgive. But Joseph is an example of a man who was already willing to forgive. Though he tests them, he's ready to forgive them and to tell them of how God has been dealing with him, to help them to see the bigger picture of what God had been doing uh, through their actions, their sinful actions, and all his experiences, his painful experiences. But God was in it and he was working for good. And, you know, it's really important that we are able to forgive those who sin against us and to be ready to forgive before ever they may acknowledge uh, that they have wronged us. Indeed, they may never acknowledge that they have wronged us. Um, but we still can be ready to forgive and to forgive others the trespasses that they commit against us uh, as God has forgiven our trespasses against him. And the reconciliation came about because Jacob and his family, together with all the world at that time, went through a time of testing and also a time of provision because the famine that affected Egypt affected the whole world and even the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey, experienced uh, the, the famine, probably the drought that was connected with it. And uh, that famine tested the faith of Jacob uh, and his family. And it became the means of reconciliation with God and with each other, because Jacob sent his sons to Egypt uh, to buy food. He had the wherewithal to buy food, but there was no food in the land. Uh, and after a, a short time of the famine, uh, they had used up all their resources and needed to go to Egypt in order to buy uh, food. And so they set off for Egypt a place they'd never been before, a strange place, just as it had been strange to Joseph when he arrived there uh, and was sold as a slave. 
And uh, it, it's in the context of that journey to Egypt that the problems that the brothers were struggling with came out um, because uh, they, they, were, they revealed the, the tensions they were personally experiencing and uh, the fact that life was not easy for them. And uh, there was distrust within the family. So in Genesis 42, when they're preparing to go to Egypt, um, the question arises whether Benjamin will go with them. But we're told there in verse 4, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. Uh, all those years, those long years since Joseph disappeared as far as his dad was concerned, had been killed as far as his father knew, he hadn't trusted his sons, especially with his youngest son, Benjamin. Uh, Joseph spent 13 years in Egypt before he rose to promise, prominence. There's been seven years of famine, and so 20 years have passed, and, and Jacob still doesn't trust his sons, and he, he blames them uh, for what has happened. And uh, later, when they, they need to take Benjamin, uh, Jacob says to him that he, he will not send him with them. He doesn't trust them to take Benjamin uh, to Egypt, because if he goes down and Benjamin is lost to him as Joseph had been lost, then he says, you will bring my grey head down to the grave. And so, in fact, Jacob seems to have been in more or less permanent mourning since the loss of Jacob and the uh, loss of Joseph. And, and when they arrive in Egypt and meet Joseph for the first time, but don't know who he is, he accuses them of being spies, come to spy out the defences of, of Egypt. And uh, the... Uh, the brothers reply and they say, uh, your servants have come to buy food. We're, we're not spies. We are all sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. We're honest men, they say. And you may look at that and think, well, they're not telling the truth because they hadn't been honest when they had gone back to tell the father, their father that they'd found Joseph's uh, coat of many colours and they it made him think that Joseph had died. That wasn't honest. But perhaps what they're saying is that after they saw the effects uh, of what uh, of Joseph lost to Jacob and the father in constant mourning, they tried to change their lives from then on. They tried to make up for what they had done, but they couldn't because they told a lie. And, and they never fully acknowledged that. In, in fact, they, they talked about Joseph when they spoke to him in Egypt, uh, and they just said, uh, there's another brother, but, but he's not. And they, they, they spoke in general terms about what had happened to him. And they couldn't go to Egypt and find him. They couldn't change the situation, but they perhaps tried to, to live an honest life from then on. But it didn't change what they'd done. Uh, I was driving along the M4 near Bridgend uh, some years ago, and uh, there's a motorway bridge as you come near to Junction 35, where there used in those days to be a, a speed camera, a safety camera. And you come round a bend and there's the bridge. And as I was going around the bridge, I was driving within the speed limit. And this young man came past in a car very fast in the outside lane. And I thought, you're going too fast. You're, if there's a camera there, you will be caught. And there was a camera there. 
and the man drove on and he only spotted the camera just as he was going under the bridge. And undoubtedly he would have been detected in speeding and probably fined. But immediately he passed the bridge, he, he slowed down and he came off the motorway at the next junction and he drove on the dual carriageway into Bridgend, which is a 50 mile an hour speed limit. And he was a model citizen from that moment on. And he kept to the speed limit. But that didn't change the fact that he had been speeding on the motorway and had been caught and would have to face the consequences. And, you know, sometimes people try to make up for things they've done by, by, by doing better and trying to put it right. But you can't resolve the past sins, uh, especially big sins uh, like the brothers had committed in plotting to kill Joseph and then selling him as a slave. And as I said earlier, they didn't really face up uh, to the truth. Uh, they told Joseph, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. You see, they don't tell the whole truth uh, because they can't face it. They haven't faced it. Uh, and they're still living with the guilt of it. And they had troubled consciences because of that. So when Joseph is making things a little difficult for them, in Genesis 42, they say to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when, we plead, when he pleaded with us for his life. But we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. You see, they make a link 20, more than 20 years later with what they did, and, and now we're being punished. So they're trying to live a better life to make up for it, but that doesn't make up for it. Now they're feeling that when things go wrong, they're being punished for what they did. And they, and they speak of the distress, the pleading of Joseph, don't do this. But they closed their ears and they sold him as a slave and they deceived their father. And, and sin is like that. Uh, we sin all the time. We commit many sins every day. But there are certain sins that stay in our memory and that uh, mar us, and we can't seem to move past them. And whenever anything goes wrong, those things come back to mind. And they also blamed each other. Uh, Reuben says, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen? Now we must give an accounting for his blood. And Joseph can understand what they're saying. And Reuben is saying, I told you not to do it, but you did. And uh, later, uh, Reuben tries to atone for his sins by, by what he does when the issue of, of going back with Benjamin arises. And Reuben says to his father, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care and I will bring him back. Joseph, uh, I, didn't, I wasn't able to save him, but, but if Benjamin is committed to my care, I'll make sure that he comes back safely. That's what he's saying. And uh, so trying to live a different life, trying to make up for the wrong things, living with a guilty conscience, blaming each other. Those are all the things which they experienced and that sense that, that God was punishing them for what they have done. So when they, they go back to Egypt and uh, uh, then they are they, in Egypt and they're leaving and they, they find the silver in their sacks. Uh, Joseph said, put the money back in their sacks. And uh, when they find one of the 
sacks with the silver in. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? They, they see it as a punishment. They're in trouble. And it's God pursuing them. Yet they've got no peace with God. And they're even frightened by that act of kindness when they get home and open all the sacks and find all the silver in all the sacks. Again, they, they see it as a, as a threat and as a danger rather than an act of kindness. You've been given food and you haven't had to pay. And uh, when they go back to Egypt later and they say, we brought the silver from last time, the, the steward tells them, it's all right. Uh, you can keep it. Uh, I received the money that I needed for that, uh, for those supplies. So even acts of kindness frightened them. Uh, I wonder, do you live with a, a guilty past? Things have happened that you can't change. And they trouble you, the things that haven't trouble you still. And you've tried to live a better life. And uh, you've been conscious that others perhaps were involved, perhaps it was partly their fault, not your fault. And uh, when anything goes wrong, you think, well, that's because God is angry with me and uh, he's punishing me. And those sort of thoughts are so common. And, and the thing we need to recognize is that we need to know God's forgiveness. We need to confess our sins. In 1 John, we're told that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The brothers needed to tell the truth, uh, to tell their father what they had done so that he could understand and uh, to, to face the fact that they had done a terrible thing which they couldn't undo and to ask God to have mercy on them. Like, like the man in Jesus' parable said, have mercy on me, O God, a, a sinner, the sinner. And uh, have you ever done that? Just ask God for mercy, not trying to make up, not trying to change, not trying to minimize what happened, but just simply acknowledging your need of forgiveness. Because through all these struggles that the brothers were having, uh, the famine had taken them to Egypt and had taken them into the presence of their brother Joseph, though they didn't recognize him. The brother Joseph, who had had a dream, uh, two dreams, that they would come and bow down to him. That's exactly what they do in Egypt when they don't know it is Joseph, but he is so powerful and they are so vulnerable in a strange country uh, that they bow down in his presence and God's word, God's dream given to Joseph had been fulfilled. And uh, it's all moving them to this point of reconciliation and forgiveness and joy. And what a a wonderful thing it is because they eventually overcome their father's lack of trust and he agrees because Simeon, uh, their brother, has been kept in Egypt. That when they go the second time, Benjamin goes with them, even though his favoritism for Benjamin is as strong as ever. Jacob agrees, he relents. And uh, so they come for the second time uh, to Egypt. And uh, they come face to face with Joseph. And uh, Joseph uh, arranges for the cup to be put, the silver cup to be put in Benjamin's sack. Uh, and then it's discovered and they all come back. And, uh, and Joseph says, well, now uh, I'm not going to keep you all. I'm just going to keep Benjamin. 
and uh, the brothers are troubled and and their change of heart comes out clearly in what Judah says. We, we read it earlier as uh, Judah explains to Joseph the situation with their father and uh, about uh, the fact that he thinks that Joseph is dead and, and now Benjamin means, means so much to him. And uh, he, he pleads that uh, Joseph will allow him to stay instead of Benjamin. What a change of heart in this man Judah. It was Judah uh, when they were planning to kill him who said, well, you know, if we kill him, we'll get nothing for him. Uh, let's sell him. At least we'll have some money for him. At uh, the end of uh, Genesis 44, he says, now then, please let your servant remain here uh, as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. He, he basically would finish him off, is what he's saying, if Benjamin didn't return. So Judah becomes the intercessor, the one who's able to, to offer, to take the place of Benjamin. And uh, at that point, Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And uh, he began to weep, and he reveals himself uh, to his brothers and says, I am Joseph. And... Uh, they were terrified in his presence. Many years had passed. Joseph had probably changed. He's clearly dressed in Egyptian clothing. And they changed too through those years. And uh, he calls them to come close to him. And then he says, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. That's the reality. That's what you did to me. And of course, their fear might have been, well, if this is our brother Joseph, now is the time for retribution. Now is the time for payback. What is he going to do to us? But he says, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. He sees that God had so ordained things that Joseph came to Egypt in order to be there for this particular time, in order that many lives might be saved across the world, but also many lives uh, in God's family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs, that their lives might be saved. So that it was not you who sent me here, but God, he says. And he's able to see the bigger purpose of God. And, and Joseph is the one who brings about the reconciliation. And uh, he sees that his brothers have changed and he takes that decisive act. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. And it's uh, God who takes the initiative in reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. It's God against whom we have sinned, who takes this great act of reconciliation, sends his son. And uh, he doesn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And Joseph points through the years to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who comes to seek and to save that which was lost, who comes not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Do you think you're righteous? In that case, you'll never see your need of Jesus. But if you are conscious of your sin, those sins of deepest dye, that stain your conscience, perhaps things you did many years ago, then come to the Lord Jesus Christ and he will forgive you. 
and he will take away your guilt and you will have peace with God. And so forgiveness and reconciliation comes about because of Joseph forgiving his brothers. What an amazing thing, isn't it, for him to be able to say, don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. How they didn't listen to his pleadings. They'd hated him at home. And then when they got the chance out in a remote place, uh, they didn't kill him, but they sold him as a slave. And uh, he is ready to forgive. He's ready to be reconciled. You know, forgiveness is a very powerful thing. It's a wonderful thing. I wonder whether, on the one hand, we realized our need for forgiveness, for God's forgiveness, but also whether we ourselves are ready to forgive those who sin against us. Uh, Perhaps you've read uh, the writings of Corrie ten Boom, very wonderful, lovely writings, which are full of all sorts of precious truths. And uh, she and her her sister, Betsy, had uh, been arrested because they concealed Jews in their home in Holland during the Nazi occupation. And uh, they had been sent to the Ravensbrück concentration camp. And uh, they suffered along with the others there very greatly. And, And Betsy died in that camp. And uh, after the war, um, Corrie ten Boom went around uh, speaking, speaking about the need to find forgiveness. And uh, in one of her books, she writes about an experience she had in a church in Munich. This is what she wrote. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a grey overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favourite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected collected their wraps, in silence left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. Came back with a rush, a huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the centre of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein, how good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, 
fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven, and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he, could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion, I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment we grasped each other's hands, the former God, guard and the former prisoner. I have never known God's love so intensely as I did then. What a moment for giving a man involved in the horrors of a concentration camp, a man who'd already found God's forgiveness, but then Corrie is called upon to forgive him. And uh, there was warmth, there was a sense of God's presence, there was a release and there was joy and blessing. And that's what happened in Egypt as uh, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers 
and they embraced and they kissed each other and uh, sins were forgiven and reconciliation took place. We're told that there's joy amongst the angels in heaven when one sinner repents. And no doubt there was joy in heaven when they were reconciled in Egypt too. And uh, we need God's forgiveness, but we also need to be ready to forgive. Is that one of the struggles that you have? There are things that have happened, relationships that have been uh, strained, broken, and things which perhaps family members or perhaps Christians have done, and, and you've never been able to move past it and to forgive. But Corrie Ten Boom's testimony is that in forgiving, in doing because God commanded it to be done, what she, humanly speaking, felt unable to do, uh, she knew the love of God so intensely, more intensely than she'd ever known it before. What a wonderful thing the grace of God is in our troubled and torn and tense and hateful world uh, as we experience God's love and forgiveness and are ready to forgive others too. And uh, Corrie Ten Boom says in the preface to her book, The Hiding Place, she says, this is what the past is for. Every experience God gives us, every person he puts in our lives, is the perfect preparation for the future only he can see. As the brothers were selling Joseph, hating him, how could they have known that many years later there would be this amazing reconciliation? Uh, and their sin would be forgiven, and they would be at peace with their brother and know his love and be loved by him, and realize that God had used all these things to bring about a, a great deliverance. Well, may God help us to, to know his grace in Jesus Christ and to demonstrate that grace to one another. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. Uh, for this wonderful story of Joseph and for the way in which you were with him uh, in his father's house when he was the favourite son, in the dreams by which you revealed your purposes for him. And then as his brothers sold him, as he became a slave, as he was falsely accused, imprisoned, forgotten. And we thank you that you worked in his life. You were with him and you were gracious to him. And, and he wasn't overcome by those terrible things. But as he experienced your grace and kindness to him, so he was able to respond to his brothers and to help them to experience forgiveness and reconciliation and peace. That so the truth came to light. And at that time it was safe because you were at work in the hearts of him and his brothers and his father. Father, help us. Thank you for sending your son into this world that we might be forgiven, that we might have peace with you. Help us to know that peace, to know that the past has been forgotten and a future hope has been given. And where we struggle with things that people have done or said, that you will help us to forgive them with all our heart, as Corrie was able to forgive that former guard in Ravensbrook. Thank you for the power of the gospel. Thank you for the wonder of your love in Jesus Christ. For we ask these things in his name. Amen. Now our last hymn is uh, from Christian Hymns, number 500 and 
44, 544, to heart and soul, how sweet thou art, O great high priest of God, my heart brought nigh to God's own heart by thy most precious blood.
may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us this day and abide with us forevermore. Amen.